Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Andrea Nicholson. Andrea is board certified in holistic nutrition and holds additional certifications as a nutrition therapist master and level three restorative wellness practitioner. In her previous life as a forensic scientist, wow, interesting, and crime lab manager, she learned a very valuable skill, how to identify and follow evidence to solve mysteries. Ultimately, Andrea combined this love of investigating mysteries with her true passions regarding health, and she started a holistic nutrition and lifestyle consulting practice. Today, Andrea works one-on-one with clients virtually to optimize their health through fixing digestive issues, boosting energy naturally, and helping clients have better overall moods. We could all use that. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and to have this conversation. Thank you, Andrea. Your background is so amazing. I am a big fan of shows like CSI. And it's very interesting how you took your background in forensic science and you transitioned it to become a nutrition therapist master and restorative wellness practitioner. Please share with us why you made that transition and what you do. 
I would love to. I know I have a little bit of a unique story in that not everyone has made that kind of career switch. It's definitely a drastic switch. So I was working full-time as a forensic scientist, had that career, was there for 15 years, had always been interested in health and had a little side gig thing going on for a while while I was on my own health journey and just coached people along the way. But it was really basic. It was like encouraging people to work out with me or eat more broccoli. It was really basic stuff. And when I faced a time in my life when I wanted to make this career transition. I really wanted to do something different. I loved forensic science. I loved the investigation side of it and the science and the mystery. But I didn't love 2am phone calls. I didn't yes. love the 24-7 nature of the job. I didn't love always having negative things around me and be seeing people in their worst. And you know, it kind of makes you start to believe that everyone is like that. And I just didn't like the direction it was taking my health. And I think the stress was actually far more impactful on me than I realized at the time. Looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I was really stressed. I mean, I couldn't watch TV. I would just fall asleep. I couldn't live my life. I was just so stressed. I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought I was tired. But anyway, so fast forward, I switched careers or I was facing that decision and I'd always loved nutrition, but I really felt drawn to help people in a deeper way not just, you know, recommend more broccoli or, you know, lean meats, or I just, I didn't want to be surface level. I didn't want it to be information anyone could just get from a pamphlet. I really wanted to be able to identify what's really holding people back. And I think so many people get caught up in the basics aren't working and then they feel like, well, they're just doomed to be unhealthy. And I really wanted to dig deeper. So I went back to school, got the additional certifications, ultimately got board certified. And now that's what I do. I really take that investigation skill that I learned back in the day. And I use that to help people investigate what's holding them back, what's causing their symptoms, why are they in this place and what they can do to get out of it. So essentially, Andrea, you are helping the individuals that you work with get to the root cause of what's really going on instead of masking, which is something that typically happens. They're just given a pill and say, hey, take this. And it's really not getting to the root cause. Yeah, absolutely. Most of those medications and frankly, some supplements even aren't actually fixing the imbalance. They're making you feel better sometimes, not always. Sometimes they're making your labs look better. They're not actually making you feel better. I really wanted to get to what's the underlying imbalance? What's actually going wrong in your body? And let's see if we can fix that. Then you won't need a long-term pill or potion to fix it. And hopefully you can avoid surgeries or other declines in your health. Andrea, when you are working with someone, what does that investigation look like? What is your process? I generally start with a really in-depth look at the person. What drives you? What motivates you? What do you like? What do you dislike? What have you already tried? You know, really kind of gathering all of that subjective data, the way you feel, the way you describe your story, what you want, what is the vision for your health? Because I can want those things all day long. You have to really want it as the client or it doesn't really matter. So I really want to dig into what drives you, what motivates you, what will be different about your life. So I can really understand that motivation behind what you're trying to solve. We pair that then with the objective data that we gather from functional tests. Sometimes we use technologies. It might be something like a continuous glucose monitor or a blood glucose meter that you can use at home. For those kinds of technologies, there's also aura rings and whoop bands and Apple watches and Garmin's and Fitbits and just all the technology that we have available today. 
we take all this objective data that's available to us. And that looks a little different for each client. And then using all of that subjective and objective data, it can really help us inform what the recommendations should be. Maybe we end up with some kind of infection, like a gut health infection. You have bacterial overgrowth or you have a yeast overgrowth or something like that then we can really specifically hone in on that underlying imbalance and try to fix it. So really, it's looking at the comprehensive view of the client, what drives them, what motivates them, and what their test results or technologies show, and then really customizing a plan to get them to that ultimate outcome as quickly as possible. Thank you for explaining that, Andrea. I know that you help people with like their metabolism and things like that. Please tell us what metabolic disorders are and why cancer is considered a metabolic disorder. This is a somewhat new topic to the overall health industry. Obviously, it's been known for a long time, but it hasn't been a commonly talked about thing. Most of us think of metabolism as how many calories we burn in a day. But in reality, metabolism is the sum total of all of the chemical reactions occurring in our body all day, every day. So that's building hormones and breaking them down to eliminate them. That's building muscle tissue, building bone tissue. It's all of the things, our digestive system, thyroid function, all of the things that happen in our bodies all day long. And if any one little aspect of that is out of balance then it skews other systems. We don't just live in, you know, we're not like a car. We can't just replace the carburetor. That's just not how it works. We're a complex ecosystem. It's more like a spider web. So if you pull on one little piece, the whole thing shifts. We have to identify where those imbalances are and try to get the whole spider web to be back in balance so that it's not causing symptoms or issues or other problems. So with metabolic health, really it's any disorder that's related to really anything in the body. So if you have a thyroid disorder, if you have diabetes or blood sugar imbalances, if you have dementia or migraines or anything associated with that, and now newer research is showing that cancer has a big metabolic tie. Of course, there's also toxins and other things that can contribute to cancer. We know smoking is a major cause of cancer, those kinds of things. But even within that, the toxins are affecting the metabolic function of your cells. So even when it's something like smoking, it has a metabolic component. But a lot of cancers are just driven by the fuels that the cells are using. So a lot of cancers can only use glucose for energy. And they use it really well. They suck it all up from the surrounding tissues and use it all. That's the theory behind PET scans that are commonly used in cancer screenings. They use radioactively labeled sugar. And wherever that sugar is being taken up the most, that's cancer. So that tells us right away that this does have a metabolic function because that's how they use it to diagnose some cancers when they're doing PET scans. So if we can fix this metabolic dysfunction... We can at least help your body be in a better shape to fight the cancer, if not actually starving out the cancer itself. It's a complicated process, but that's how cancer is metabolically related. So Andrea, it sounds like a lot of times when the doctors and whoever are trying to diagnose, maybe the best solution is not to just isolate one thing. So just look at the big picture. Is that what I'm hearing? Look at the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any simple solutions to really anything that's going wrong in the human body. We can't just eat our way to perfect health. We can't just exercise our way to perfect health. We can't just sleep our way to perfect health. Like we really do have to look at all of these things together. And even within those categories, there's nuance. So 
one diet doesn't work for all situations. Some people really need to be on an ultra low calorie diet for various reasons. Some people need to be on an ultra low carbohydrate diet. Some conditions require low protein. There's different things within each one of those major categories that we have to take into account for you and what you are going through. So it really does need to be a holistic approach. We have to look at diet and exercise and overall lifestyle and sleep and stress and toxins and joy. Are you doing things that bring you joy? Are you doing things that actually make you happy? Are you taking care of yourself in that way? Have you dealt with past traumas? That's a big one that a lot of people don't think about. But if you have a traumatic experience that you've lived through in your past or something you witnessed as a child or anything in the past that you haven't fully dealt with, a lot of research has shown that can be the driving thing behind a lot of these disorders. There's so many chemical reactions that occur simply based on our thoughts, even the unconscious or subconscious thoughts that we're not aware of. So if you have those things in your past that you haven't dealt with, I highly encourage you to deal with them. Even if they don't seem like things that actively bother you, I would say deal with them because that might be the key to fixing your health. Great advice. Thank you, Andrea. The other topic I want to talk about is gut health. It's a common topic of discussion these days, Andrea. What goes into gut health? What does that entail? And is there a connection to cancer? Yeah, there is a huge connection to cancer. And actually, way back in the day, Hippocrates talked about the gut health being the root of all disease. And I really do think that's true. This is why this is the number one healing priority that I focus on in my practice, regardless of what symptom or condition you're dealing with, whether it's cancer or diabetes, doesn't really matter. Gut health is key. And the reason being, Number one, it's the first site that a lot of times we pick up infections. It's a direct source from the outside. It also plays a huge role in whether or not we have the proper building blocks. Do we have the proper amino acids, the proper carbohydrates? Do we have the proper fatty acids? Are we bringing in unhealthy sources of those? So that gives us the building blocks that we need to make muscle, to make bone, to build hormones, to make enzymes, to do all of these cellular processes. If we don't have adequate digestion, we don't have those building blocks. They come in and they go right out. And then our systems suffer for that. And the third way that this is directly related is this is also where we detox a lot of toxins. If we can't properly eliminate toxins that have accumulated in the body, then they can recirculate and they can continue to cause harm and they can accumulate. They just compound on each other if they can't be eliminated. And in order to do that process properly, we need adequate nutrition because the actual detox process takes nutrients. We have to be able to tag these toxins with specific compounds to make them water soluble so that they can enter, travel through the body and exit out of the body. If we don't have those components that we need to tag the toxins with, they don't get tagged. If they don't get tagged, they can't get eliminated. And then we need the actual physical process of eliminating it. And we do that elimination a lot through our stool and our urine. So if we don't have proper gut health, which requires the right kinds and the right amounts of bacteria, not having pathogens, not having parasites and all of these things that steal nutrients and interfere with the process. And then we also need like the systems themselves to be working. We need the muscle contractions. We need all of the physical things that occur to physically push the things out of the body. So it really is foundational to everything in the body. 
And a last little tip is a lot of our microbes actually make vitamins, hormones. They make some of these compounds that we need for proper function. And they do a lot of signaling of our immune system as well. So when you don't have the proper microbes, that signaling doesn't occur and that nutrient synthesis doesn't occur. Thank you, Andrea. One thing that I know being a cancer survivor and having gone through cancer treatment myself, I know how important it is to detoxify or get those chemicals out of your system. How can focusing on gut health during cancer treatment make a difference? I think it really can optimize all of those processes. So it can make sure that you do have all of those building blocks because conventional cancer treatments, while they can be very effective, are damaging. So we have extra things that we need to be able to repair. So we need to be able to build new tissues. We need to build new bones and all the things that get damaged in the process. So again, you need all those building blocks, but the cancer treatments also somewhat damage the gut lining. And so that makes absorption that much more difficult. And if you're not absorbing those nutrients, there you are missing those building blocks again. And then same thing with the elimination. If we don't have the nutrients that we need to be able to properly eliminate those toxins, then those toxins will linger and continue to cause damage in the body. So when we're going through, whether it's a natural process or a conventional cancer treatment, really focusing on solidifying your gut's health and integrity can help to mitigate some of that damage that the treatments can cause and that the cancer alone is causing. So I think it just puts your body in the best possible state to stave off damage and to repair as quickly as possible. Andrea, what are a couple of things that people can do to start to improve their gut health, especially when they're going through cancer treatment and they don't feel like eating or anything like that? How do you repair your gut then? Yeah, it can be really difficult. And I know loss of appetite is a big problem when undergoing the cancer treatment. And that's really tough because when you're not feeling well, the last thing you want to do is eat, <laughs> you know, you're nauseous and dealing yeah. like the last thing you want to do is add to that fuel. So I get that and give yourself grace to begin with. Know that this is a process and it's a difficult journey. So don't add stress to the situation. Give yourself grace, do what you have to do. Really listen to what your body is telling you. If your body is telling you right now, absolutely don't eat anything then I would say, listen, don't eat anything. I know one of the major concerns that they're always worried about in cancer is losing too much weight. Yes. And the major fear there is losing muscle and losing lean tissue. Not so much weight. Like we can all lose fat and not become unhealthy with that. But when you start losing muscle and bone and organ tissue and the good vital tissue that we need, that's obviously a problem. So I would say as much as you possibly can in any form that you can really prioritize getting proteins because those are the bulk of what you really need for all of those building blocks. You really need those core amino acids to keep up with muscle building and tissue building and all of those things. Fatty acids would also be a high priority in there because you need the fats for hormone building for all of your cell walls. Every cell in your body is surrounded by fat. If you're not consuming adequate fat or if you're not digesting that well, then you know that could lead to deficiencies in those ways and make your cells not work as well. And then lastly, I would just say really it depends on what treatment you're undergoing. So we have to work with your doctor and find out for sure what limitations you have. There might be some digestive supports 
that could help reduce some of those symptoms. So for some people undergoing the treatment, they might not be digesting fatty acids very well. There's particular supplements that you can take that can help that process. So they make the fats a little easier to absorb. So there's things like that that can be really helpful depending on what medication you're on. Obviously, we want to make sure there's no interactions and no no problems by combining, but there's things like that that can be really helpful. Digestive bitters can be helpful. In some cases, fermented foods or like apple cider vinegar can be helpful. It just really depends on the client and if they're in that nauseous state, like what they can tolerate, those kinds of things. So we just have to really strategize how to get the most nutrition in you and give you all the building blocks that you need to repair. So a lot of times that ends up being a lot more liquids. So things like bone broth or protein shakes, those kinds of things can be really helpful. I generally recommend steering away from anything sugary. So I generally don't go for things like milkshakes. I know a lot of doctors will say, eat anything you can, just keep on the calories. But if you're adding sugar by the large doses, you're fueling the cancer. Because we talked about at the beginning how much cancer loves sugar. So while I agree that you want to keep your body weight on, I'd rather you keep the lean weight on and not fuel the cancer with sugar. So as much as possible, try to stick to proteins and healthy fats And even if that's shakes and broths and those kinds of things, I think that's going to be much better for your system. And oddly enough, there's a lot of research on fasting and how tremendously beneficial fasting can be to actually save your lean tissue. It sounds so counterintuitive that not eating can actually help you save bone and muscle, but it does. It activates all these survival things in your body that protect your lean tissue and it forces the body fat to be burned first. So then you don't turn to burning lean tissue until you've run out of body fat. So that can be a really big strategy for some people. And it doesn't have to be like you never eat again. It's not that kind of fasting, but it can be maybe you only eat once a day or maybe fast every other day, or there's a bunch of different strategies that can be done. But as weird as it sounds, there's a lot of research in the power of fasting for healing. Andrea, I had started doing some research on intermittent fasting. And one of the benefits that I read was that it helps your body to really reset, helps your body reset. And then also, if I'm not mistaken, it was saying something about it helps your body to heal when you go into that mode. And like you said, it's not something that you do for days on end, but I heard that it is beneficial for a number of things. Yeah, it really is. It does help reset your immune system. It gives your body a break so it can focus on repairing. The body is so complex, but it in a lot of ways can only do one thing at a time. So if it's busy digesting, then it can't also be busy repairing and rebuilding. And so we're in this feeding or fasting mode. And when we're in the fasting mode, that's when all of our systems can clean out the junk, recycle stuff, rebuild stuff. And that can actually really repair and rejuvenate your tissues and your systems so that you're in a better place to fight off the cancer naturally. Andrea, I have to go back to sugar and glucose. (laughs) You've mentioned it twice. And that is something that I definitely want to talk about in a little more detail because I have heard that it's bad. Some say that it's good, but in the form of fruits. So I just want to get a little more clarity for the audience as well as myself. Can you talk to us about the impact of elevated or uncontrolled blood sugars on cancer and how consuming too much sugar impacts that? Yeah, blood sugar really is, it's kind of like gut health. It is a foundational piece. 
When our blood sugars are too high and our bodies aren't able to compensate for that, you end up with higher levels of insulin. Insulin is a growth hormone, which is now being found to be a growth stimulator for cancer. So there's one major reason why you don't want to have uncontrolled or high blood sugars, because then you have high insulin, which can fuel cancer growth. So that's one major thing. We also know sugar directly feeds cancer cells in a lot of cases. So we definitely don't want to be just adding fuel to the fire. But I do think there is a major difference between candy or sweets, those kinds of refined sugars and fruit. Now, I will say that you can still overdo it on natural things. If you're eating fruit six or seven or eight times a day or starchy vegetables, like potatoes, corn, those kinds of things that have the higher sugar content, you're potentially still putting your body in that same state because all of those carbohydrates still get broken down into glucose. So if you're eating a lot of those things, you're still adding a lot of sugar to your system. Now, sure, it's coming in a slower form because it also has fiber and it's in its natural form. So it's got all the vitamins and minerals and cofactors. And that's why I would say it's better. I would much rather you eat fruit than ice cream or candy. But if you're eating too much fruit, you're still getting a big sugar rush. A lot of people don't realize that most of the fruit that we eat today is not really what we would have eaten a hundred years ago. The fruit of today, some of it's genetically modified, but a lot of it's just been bred to be larger, to be sweeter, to be different. So it's not the same fruit as it was a hundred years ago. And we wouldn't have all had access to all of this fruit a hundred years ago. If you didn't live in Hawaii, you probably were not eating pineapple. These yeah. are the things that we really do have to think about. We have access to foods that we wouldn't have had access to a hundred years ago. And we wouldn't have had these foods year round in a lot of places. Anyone that deals with winter knows you're not growing anything in the winter. So you're not going to have fruits. You're not going to have underground veggies. You're not going to have leafy greens. You're probably not really going to have vegetables at all in the winter a hundred years ago when you couldn't travel, you couldn't transport this stuff all over the globe. So I do think that as a society, as a culture, really as a world today, because of all of this transportation, we're all consuming too much. Even the people who are like, but I don't eat sweets. I don't eat candy. I don't drink soda. If you really, truly took a look at what you're eating, you're probably eating far more carbohydrate in general than you think. So I would say that it's something that, especially when you're undergoing a cancer treatment, cancer diagnosis, the whole cancering process, I would really be extra cautious with the amount of total carbohydrate you're eating. They've shown in some studies that the average person today, this isn't necessarily unique to cancer patients, although it, it could translate directly to them, that people are eating 250 to 300 grams of carbohydrates a day on average. Now that does include the population of people who are eating candy and soda and all of the processed refined junk. But still, even if you were to take the highest outliers out of that, the average is still going to probably be in the 150 to 200 gram range, even taking out the extreme sugar fiends. So that's still probably way too much, especially if you're undergoing a cancering process. So really being mindful of that. And then within the amount of carbohydrates you're eating, really prioritizing the whole natural forms and the ones that have the lowest glycemic index or yield in them with the highest natural fiber content. 
So that would be something like a vegetable would be a far better choice than a super sweet fruit like a pineapple. So really prioritizing the non-starchy veggies first and then starchy veggies and then fruit would come last. Berries would be the one exception because they're generally pretty low in sugar compared to what you're getting in the overall fruit. And then just be really mindful of portion sizes. Like I said, our fruit it has been grown to be much larger than it used to be. So what we used to say have an apple that used to be this little teeny tiny one inch <laughs> thing. Now they're like they're the huge. size of a football. You just really have to be aware of how much extra sugar is in that now. And maybe you have one piece of fruit a day instead of six or seven, you know, just really being mindful of that. And I would always say prioritize proteins and healthy fats over carbohydrates. Just have the carbohydrates either for the fiber benefit, which there is tremendous benefit in the whole naturally found fiber in fruits and vegetables over processed foods or refined foods and then the starchier carbs. Thank you so much, Andrea, for going into such detail, because that is one thing that majority of cancer patients struggle with is nutrition. Now, on the flip side of that, I started thinking about something else. And a lot of times when cancer patients don't want to eat, it has been recommended and it was recommended for me to drink something like Ensure, Boost, that kind of thing. Where does that come into play? I think the same logic is applying to that advice, which is just you have to get some nutrition somewhere. And I won't disagree with that. If that's all you can stomach, then at least you're getting some nutrition. There is some protein and there are some things in those drinks that will be helpful. A lot of those though are really pretty high in sugars and they have some less than desirable added ingredients, you know, chemicals and preservatives and things like that. I would really say if possible, it'd be better to stick with a good quality bone broth or make your own protein shakes or any kind of even broth of any kind, even if it's not a bone broth, I think those kinds of things will probably give you better benefit than some of those pre-made products. But in the end, you have to decide if that's the only thing you can get or have access to, or you don't have the capacity to make something, then you know you have to do your best. And I think you have to just give yourself grace for that. And that there are far worse things you could add to your body, I think, yeah. but there's also probably better choices. Thank you, Andrea. I want to shift now from nutrition to more of the technical science side of things. Nutrition is kind of science too, but what is functional lab testing and would you recommend that? And how is it different from the conventional lab testing? Yeah. So when you hear practitioners talk about functional testing, generally what that is, it's more types of testing that are looking for just overall imbalances in the body conventional testing that you would often have done through your conventional medical doctor, blood tests, and those kinds of things that they run, they're looking for something they can diagnose you with. So they're looking for really severe imbalances, something that's way out of whack, something that's potentially life-threatening. Functional testing is looking for areas of imbalance. Again, it's looking for that root cause. So in my world, I do things like stool testing. And sure, conventional doctors can do stool testing, but they're generally looking for an acute infection. Like you came back from a trip and now you have chronic diarrhea. They're trying to figure out what that acute problem of the diarrhea is. If that's not you, if you're not in an active gut flare of some sort, their tests often will come back and say they found nothing because they're looking for really high levels of something 
immediate, apparent. Functional testing is going to show me a whole range of different bacteria, pathogens, parasites, yeast, all kinds of things that are both supposed to be present and that are not supposed to be present or optimally would not be present. And then it's also giving me a list of digestive health markers. So this is not necessarily bacterial specific, but it's how well are you digesting proteins? How well are you digesting fats? Do you have intestinal inflammation? How is your gut immune system functioning? Is it on high alert? Like there's an active infection going on somewhere or has it been totally depleted because you've been dealing with something chronically? So it gives us a wide range of information of how your digestive system is functioning. And so it's not giving us something that we would diagnose you with because that's not the purpose of functional testing. The purpose is to identify those root causes and attribute them back to your symptoms so that then we can deal with what are we going to do about this? Because a lot of times things will come back on these tests and this particular bacteria normally correlates with someone who has IBS, but you don't have IBS. So maybe that's not a big deal for you. So we don't always have to address every single thing on the test, but we correlate the two together with your symptoms and what the test results show. And we try to fix those issues. So it's really personalized. There's functional tests in lots of different arenas. So there's stool testing, there's urine testing, there's saliva testing, there's blood tests, there's genetic tests, there's hair tests, there's a whole range of different kinds of tests available. They're really not used for diagnostic purposes. They're used to identify underlying imbalances so that we can bring you back to optimal. The other major difference between functional testing and conventional testing is the conventional testing is really the ranges that they're comparing you to are based off the average population who've also had that test done, which means you're being compared to the average of sick people because the vast majority of super incredibly healthy people aren't undergoing that test. So just by the very nature of how they come up with those reference ranges, they're not trying to bring you back to optimal. They're trying to bring you back to average. I don't know about you. I don't want to be the average of this population. And if you pay attention to the trending in conventional medicine, they're changing the ranges as the population gets sicker and sicker. The ranges are adjusting with the sicker and sicker population. So now the average is getting sicker and sicker that they're trying to bring you to. <laughs> Those are the major differences between functional and conventional medicine. And we just decide which tests make the most sense based on your condition. You can go down a rabbit hole of testing with this if you're not careful. And you can spend a lot of money that's not necessarily needed in your case. So figuring out which tests really does matter with who you're working with and what you're trying to solve. Very helpful. With all of your knowledge and wisdom, you have a podcast called Holistic Health Bites. Please tell the audience about your podcast and what they can gain from listening. I know they can get a lot because you've shared a lot here. Yeah, it's been fun. I started that podcast earlier this year and most of the episodes are just me. And the entire theory is that they're bite-sized episodes. So they're just little sound bites talking about one particular topic. It could be a disease process. It could be an imbalance. It could be a test. It could be a case study, whatever. It could be a mindset thing. So it's just me talking about short little snippets of something to enlighten and educate and empower you to make better choices for your health and just know what's possible. Where is it available? Is it on any podcast player? It is on all the major podcast players. So Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, Pandora, all the major ones. And then you can also link to it on my website. 
How do you work with your clients? For anyone who's interested in learning more, how can they work with you? And please share your website and where they can find you. Absolutely. The best way to find out what it looks like to work with me or see if you and I might be a good fit is to go to my website, which is healthylifewithandrea.com. And if you do a forward slash consultation dash request, you can schedule an appointment with me. It's a complimentary consultation where we can just chat about what you're dealing with, what that might look like, how the process works, and we can decide if that's a good fit. So that's the best way to connect with me if you're interested in learning more. I will include that information in the listen notes for anyone who is interested so that you can easily connect with Andrea. Andrea, before we end today, is there anything else that you would like to share? I would just say, if you're going through a cancering process, take a breath, give yourself some grace and just strive to do your best. You've got a lot on your plate and it's understandable that you've got a lot on your plate. So just give yourself some grace and do your best. Continue researching. There's always answers. There's always other ways. If something doesn't sit right with you, research it, find out, find out what's really going to work the best for you. Don't just take one doctor's opinion. (laughs) Thank you, Andrea. I just want to ask one more question. It just popped in my mind, but I think it's important. (laughs) And it is, what message do you have for people who may be apprehensive because they may have this misconception about the kind of work that you do? What would you like to say to those people? Say that's totally understandable. Generally, people are uncertain about something they've never done before, someone they've never worked with before, or a process they've never gone through before. Those are totally expected. That makes perfect sense that you'd be uneasy about it. So I would say if you really want to know, but you're apprehensive, book a call with whoever it is that you're concerned about. Talk to them. Find out if you're a good fit. Maybe you're not a good fit with that particular practitioner, but you have the same call with another one and you are a perfect fit for them. So just don't be afraid to book that call. None of us are hard pressure salespeople. We're here to truly help you. And so even if you're uncertain, book the call. You can always say, yeah, this isn't for me. Totally fine. No one is going to be offended by that because we're all just here to help you. So I would say book the call and find out. Thank you, Andrea. It was such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for all of the information that you've shared. It's been very helpful and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I just know your audience is learning a ton from your entire podcast. Thank you, Andrea. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.